Kimberly Lapidus of Eat Sleepwear is a fashion blogger, graphic designer, wife, and mother who has bravely shared her journey with infertility and IVF on her blog and social platforms for the past several years. She's a mother of one darling little boy, Otis, who was born in 2018 and is expecting a second baby boy this summer. But these pregnancies did not come easily. In fact, she and her husband endured multiple failed rounds of IVF before both babies were conceived successfully. Today, Kimberly shares with me some of her most raw and tender moments, the heartache and the joy that have come from bringing rainbow babies into this world, and her passion for awareness and hope for other parents going through infertility. with me a dear friend, Kimberly Lapidus from Eat Sleepwear, who I met years ago in LA in this random, I don't know if you remember this, Kimberly, but I walked into like a little boutique where you were doing um, like a collaboration with a brand and you were so warm and kind and thoughtful to me. And I was just a kind of tiny, brand new starting out blogger and that just blossomed a friendship um, for the past several years. And so I've just adored you for so long. So I'm thrilled to have you as a guest today. (laughs) We have to to find those initial pictures. I know we have a picture. We have to find it. It's somewhere. I know. I'll have to go back in my archives and see if I can dig that up. But yeah, I've just so appreciated always your light and your kindness and your realness too. And so We are going to talk today about a topic that's very near and dear for you, which is infertility awareness um, for the month of May. So I just want to start out. And before that, though, I want to start out by talking about a little bit about your life and who you were before becoming a mom and how you got into fashion blogging and just a little bit of your background before we go into the motherhood um, section of your life. Got it. So I'm originally um, an East Coast gal. Um, I moved out here, man, I don't even remember what year it is at this point, but um, basically I was doing um, graphic design. Uh, That's Mm -hmm. what I went to college for. And then um, while I was working in the pharmaceutical space doing uh, web design, um, I was kind of bored at work because pharmaceuticals can tend to be a bit boring. And Mm -hmm. Um, that's when I decided to start my blog. I had one of my best friends lived in New York. I was living in Philadelphia at the time and we were both really into sharing each other's outfits. This was like back in the day when webcams were like attached on top of the computers. They weren't inside the computers yet for all of them, (laughs) the old school days. Um, and so we would send each other these photos back and forth of our outfits. And all of a sudden we discovered this community of women and men that were sharing, you know, their daily style, more diary kind of format. Um, Mm -hmm. and this was like the live journal days and Tumblr when these things were all huge. And so me and my friend, Melissa decided to start a blog and I'll be embarrassed if you look it up, but it was the crowded closet. <laughs> oh, so, I didn't know you had another blog name. Yeah, first. so we did that one together first, and so okay, it was a fun exploration. I mean, we were both really into photography. We both went to art school for graphic design, um, and I mean, it was just a really fun passion project for us to share our creativity and to kind of communicate back and forth with each other, and then another kind of 
side angle of that was we realized this beautiful community that existed, you know, interacting with the people that would come and read our blog. And then, you know, those early days of starting social media, starting on Facebook, and then once Instagram started, Twitter. um, And it was kind of that, that I was a little bit more interested in getting involved in the community aspect of connecting with other people in the space um, and just having those conversations. So um, a couple years went by and um, I decided to start my own blog and focus a little bit more time into that. And that's kind of how Eat Sleepwear was born. Um, And so I was still working a full-time graphic design job at the time. And I mean, this was just a passion project for me, sharing my daily looks, but also sharing a little lifestyle content, um, you know, places I'd go to eat, but it was really started more fashion forward um, in the beginning. Um, And so I did that for a bit. And then in, let's see, 2010, Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure is when I kind of took my blog full time. And I left my corporate job and (laughs) took the biggest risk of my life. Everybody thought I was insane. Um, But it ended up being kind of one of the best, I guess, risks you could say that I took kind of on myself. And I mean, it's kind of been this beautiful journey since then. And, um, you know, obviously it started more fashion focused and then once kind of life started growing for me, you know, I ended up meeting Blake and getting married. Um, you know, I, it tended to gravitate more toward lifestyle content, sharing my travels, sharing our, you know, our cooking and the places we love to go and also different pieces, you know, sharing our wedding and obviously then moving into the space of us trying to start a family, which kind of leads us to what we're going to talk about today. But so it's kind of been this natural progression of uh, of, of a hobby <laughs> that really turned into a passion project. And then um, I was able to turn into a job, which is wild. So, yeah, I know I still pinch myself when I'm doing the things that are considered work. Like even this morning, I felt that way. How is this real life? So, um, it's I. It is really cool to see that, and to I've been able to watch so much of that too—the growth and progression of not only your career but your family life too. So it's been really fun for me to be just a tiny part of that in your community. So when you and Blake got married, is that were you just immediately set on you wanted a family, or was that something that kind of progressed over time? So it's funny when Blake and I first started dating, we were a long distance couple. He was Mm -hmm. living in San Diego and I was living in, I was living in New York at the time. And it it was funny because I feel like when you have a long distance relationship, you really talk about some of those hard hitting topics early on. And um, I was in a really long relationship previously. So I feel like I was at the point in my life where I really knew kind of the things I wanted to do in my future. And that I saw in my future. And so one of our, I swear it was in the first month of us dating that I asked if he wanted to have kids because I wanted to have kids. So this Mm -hmm. was like a very early conversation and a really um, important thing to me is that I wanted to have a family one day. So we um, got married in 2015 and we wanted to start right away to try to build our family together. 
Okay, so that was right out the gate. You guys knew that was a common Right out the goal. gate, we knew. <laughs> okay, so then what happened after that? So we tried for about a year naturally. And, you know, it's you hear everyone saying, oh, you know, it's going to take time. You know, I was on birth control at the time, so I went off birth control and, um, you know, was trying to let my body do what it does and, you know, gear up to, <laughs> to do what it needed to do to get pregnant. And, mm-hmm. you know, month after month started going by and nothing was happening. And we weren't really concerned at first. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't that old, but I also wasn't that young. Let's see if that's 2015. So I think I had Otis when I was 34, I believe. So, I mean, I, I wasn't a spring chicken, but I, I wasn't necessarily bariatric in terms of medical terms. So, you know, month and month would go by and nothing was happening. So I started having conversations with my gynecologist. I also knew that we were moving down to Orange County um, because we were living in LA when we got Mm -hmm. married. So I was kind of waiting to take more serious action until I could settle down with kind of more of a intense fertility specialist, but I decided to talk to my gynecologist and ask her kind of what she suggested. And, you know, I mean, she said exactly what she probably says to everyone is that, you know, a lot of times it takes up to a year to get pregnant, you know, just letting your body do what it needs to do. So toward the end of the year, we decided to try one IUI, which is basically an insemination. Um, Mm -hmm. And we did that with our gynecologist and in hindsight, the experience was a mess. Like basically mm-hmm. we were doing a fertility, um, I guess, procedure in a gynecologist's office. And, you know, basically they, I, I, I mean, I don't know how graphic we want to get here, but <laughs> I mean, they're, they're putting a tube inside your uterus basically. And basically they hit the tube into the back of my uterine wall, which caused mm-hmm. a lot of cramping and pain and she had to go get another doctor that had to come in and help. I mean, it was basically a nightmare experience <laughs> to oh, start things awful. out. And, you know, inevitably it didn't end up working. And um, so that was one fertility experience just with my gynecologist. But um, basically from there, we decided to um, wait and talk to a fertility doctor who I found through one of my friends that lived in Orange County. Um, cause I really felt strongly about finding someone through recommendation that had a good experience. And this was basically right. a friend of a friend. Um, and I went to OC fertility in Orange County and saw Dr. Moyeri and, um, we met with her and we decided to do, you know, blood work. They do blood workups on both the male and female. Um, if that's mm-hmm. the relationship you're in, um, And, you know, just to see if what was going on and to kind of get a bigger picture before we pursued any other treatment. So it kind of moved along from everything's fine, everything's normal, everything's normal to, okay, a year later, we're still at square one and we've tried this one really not invasive experience that also did not go well and didn't, didn't work. So let's kind of call in the experts and take it one step at a time from there. Okay. So, um, so after that, did you feel like confident in your doctors or were you feeling nervous still about, you know, is this going to work for us or whatever? So I think the hardest thing about the beginning of kind of exploring 
your fertility and kind of finding out that you have infertility issues is that Mm -hmm. it kind of all hits you like a bus and you kind of are in this place where you're pushed into a lot of really big decisions and a lot of options at one time when you really don't know what all those options are and you don't have a full sense of what kind of the full gamut of treatment can look like and what you're going to need. And it's possible to know that you might need extreme (laughs) intervention or, Mm -hmm. or very minimal depending on what your medical situation is. So I think that when you're first kind of starting out in that path, um, it's very overwhelming. And I think you just feel very lost and discouraged that, you know, I mean, this is, this is something that people are doing. I mean, you hear every day a new person that's pregnant and people that aren't having issues and it just becomes this really kind of overwhelming thing. Like, oh my goodness, something is like, something might be wrong and kind of coming to terms with, you know, that you might have issues getting pregnant. I mean, it's, it was a big, weird, confusing and also very scary time when we first started out. But I mean, I will say we found a doctor that we really liked and I felt confident in her steps to kind of explore and see where our fertility was was or could be having issues. Right. Okay. So then what did you guys do from there? So from there, we did a couple more IUIs or inseminations. Um, it's a pretty non-invasive um, procedure and, you know, a lot cheaper than a typical IVF experience. Right. But I also tried, you know, Clomid and Famara. Famara is another off-label uh, medication that they use similar to what they're doing with Clomid, where they're trying to ramp up your your egg production um, to kind of give you some better odds to get pregnant. And sometimes that really helps um, some women out. And it's obviously just a pill that you're taking. So it's really not a very intense, <laughs> as intensive of a process. So we did that. Um, and then Although we Although I've did, heard that those those drugs are like really gnarly to take, right? Oh, At yeah. At least the I side mean, effects can be really, when I really was, intense. So Famara is, is typically used in women with breast cancer, if I have that correct. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, basically anytime you're doing all of these hormone treatments, it it can be a roller coaster. I mean, I remember I was taking Famara and I was on a trip to Hawaii with Blake. And I mean, I, I felt like I was in menopause, like my whole body was sweating. I mean, you're uncomfortable and you're like, I feel crazy because you just don't feel like yourself. You know, your, yeah. your body just doesn't feel like yours in a sense. Um, but so there were definitely a lot of side effects from the pills, even though in hindsight, that was a really much easier approach if that had worked. So, yeah. but I mean, I, I think the hardest thing is, is that everyone's fertility experience is different and it's not to be belittled, even if you just had to do one of the hormone pills, or if you just had to do an IUI or any of that, it's all a very big experience in each of its own. Right. Right. Yeah. I really appreciate you saying that. So after you guys tried those things, then, I mean, how long was the journey before you decided to do IVF? So I believe it was probably just a few months. And 
I mean, I think the hardest thing to consider is that you're trying all these things and whether or not you have health insurance coverage also kind of affects a lot of these decisions that you wouldn't think about up front necessarily because you're not expecting in your head, I didn't realize I was going to have to do three egg retrievals in the end to get all of my embryos. So you're not really thinking as far ahead. And I think Mm -hmm. that's the most frustrating and confusing thing about the whole process. So I had my, I did the hormone pills, which didn't work. I did the four total IUIs. So three of which were with my fertility doctor. And then Mm -hmm. after none of that was working, um, we decided to take the next step and do an IVF egg retrieval. So basically that process was, you know, they basically shut your system off with a bunch of different hormones and medications. And they basically... (laughs) Um, want to create as many eggs as possible. Nor- a normal woman only ovulates one egg a month, mm-hmm. like one one good egg that grows and you know is the winner and releases. And you hope that that one is the one that gets fertilized. But in IVF, they try to crop as many eggs as possible to get big, you know, within reason and within safety for the woman, obviously. Um, and then they harvest those eggs, and after they harvest the eggs, they inject them with the sperm. And then you wait to see, um, if you get embryos from that. And then after that, after you see, if you get the embryos, we did genetic testing on all the embryos that we did to make sure that there were no hormonal problems or things like that. So, um, so, I mean, you went from having a very small procedure to going through a really, really intense experience. Right. It's really expensive. It's really time consuming and really physically taxing, right? It's all and everything of the above. And I mean, I remember someone explaining it to me like this too, is, you know, you're, you basically prep for about 10 to 12 days with all of these injections. And, you know, by the end of these 12 days, your ovaries have expanded to the point where it's like, there's a bunch of grapes hanging in each one of them. And so you're just oh so physically, you're just, I mean, you, you couldn't even tie your shoes. You're so bloated. You're so full. You're so uncomfortable. But, you know, the goal is the more eggs you get, the more, you know, chances that you can get. So, I mean, we were confident that, okay, I mean, we're going to try IVF and IVF is this, you know, miracle band-aid for fertility problems. So we're going to do IVF. We're going to get all these embryos and then we're going to do an embryo transfer and I'm going to get pregnant. And I think the most disappointing thing of it all is that, you know, we went through this process and we only got one embryo from our first egg retrieval, like one embryo that was healthy um, after we went through the testing. So, I mean, we were of course, devastated because I mean, I think that there's so much, not misinformation necessarily, but just not understanding um, of what the IVF process actually looks like. It's just known as this kind of band-aid to fix your fertility problems, but no one really talks about the fact that, you know, it it doesn't always work. Some people don't get any embryos or don't get any eggs or, you know, their Mm -hmm. cycles get canceled. I mean, I just feel like no one really talks about that stuff. So you just think this is going to be this magical solution. And really, you know, we went through this really intensive process and then all of a sudden we got one embryo. And now we should consider ourselves lucky because 
I mean, I have a friend personally who got none when she went yeah. through that process. I mean, it's, it's, it's horrible to have to go through that pain and suffering. And, you know, it's, it's a really, ooh, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. So while you were going through all of this, I just have to ask, what were some of the things that helped from your friends and your family that felt supportive, that things they said or things they did to make you really feel supported? So through our first egg retrieval, we really did not tell many people. We really kind of lived alone with it. And I think that probably made it even harder. Um, mm. It wasn't until the second egg retrieval that I kind of started opening up and talking to more people about it. Um, yeah. And one, once I did, I mean, it was great to be able to have, you know, a shoulder to cry on, an ear to listen to. But then, you know, with every failed attempt or every bit of bad news, I also then had to, you know, report all the bad stuff along with the good stuff. So it was a bit of a mixed bag in terms of having people involved and also adding that extra element of sharing it with, you know, my blog community and on social media. I mean, you kind of have this responsibility to, you know, show up for people, whether it's good or bad and to kind of give the full picture. But as we kind of moved through the process, um, I think that the most important thing was just having people to check in and it didn't have to be, you know, specific questions of, uh, you know, of, of what was going on that day. It could have been as simple as been thinking of you. Like I had friends that would just randomly like come and drop off like some cookies for me or, you know, friends that would randomly like send over some flowers or, I mean, but really it didn't have to be so, physical. It was just a matter of people just kind of checking in here and there. I mean, just the smallest gestures really made a big difference in terms of support. Um, and I think that everyone deals with the stress and uh, all of kind of everything that goes with all the emotions really differently. So I think it really mm -hmm. depends per person um, what could be helpful for them. But um I think a lot of people don't know what to say. So some people would avoid it and some people, mm -hmm. um, you, you know, it's just so hard because people want to help, but they also don't want to say the wrong thing. Right. So I think the, the best way was when people didn't really ask me anything specific, but just were kind of like, Hey, I'm thinking about you just letting you know, I'm thinking about you. And that kind of left the door open for me to say to, to, if I wanted to talk about it, I could. And yep if I didn't want to, I could respectfully not have to kind of go into details if I didn't want to. Right. Gosh, that's, yeah, that's a beautiful answer. Cause I agree. I think sometimes it's like, you don't know what to say. You don't want to say too much. You don't want to not acknowledge it, you know, when someone's going through something really hard. So I love your advice there on just checking in, letting people know that you care and then letting them kind of dictate how much they're feeling comfortable sharing or opening up about. So so then tell us what happened after, you know, that first so egg retrieval. The, and after the first egg retrieval, we got the one healthy embryo. And so, you, you know, we thought, okay, we, we have this one chance. This is great. We moved on to our embryo transfer prep. And the embryo transfer is um, a lot less invasive of a process, but still 
a lot of injections, a lot of medications, a lot of hormones. Um, Mm -hmm. And so leading up, we prep for a transfer, you know, everything looked good. The embryo looked good. We did our transfer and, you know, I would have no reason to believe that it wasn't going to work. I mean, we were positive. Everything was going to go right. We were going to transfer to this embryo and I was going to be pregnant. And I mean, I vividly remember (laughs) the day. So uh, basically what happens is after 10 days, you go um, to the doctor's office, at least in my case, and you go for a blood draw and that's Mm -hmm. where they check your HCG levels and see if you're pregnant. So that morning I went to the doctor, I got my blood drawn and, you know, the doctor's office calls you sometime early afternoon. And for whatever reason, Blake was not in the house. He must've been at the store. Um, So I was home alone and my phone rang and it was the doctor. And I mean, I vividly remember her voice that day and the words like her saying that she's so sorry. And, and I swear like the, the phone dropped out of my hand and I just, I was hysterical. I mean, Mm. I just, I had no idea that, I mean, I just, I didn't even fathom the fact that it wasn't going to work. And my heart just like dropped out of my body. Like it was one of the saddest days of my life. I think, um, it it was just a nightmare, like a living nightmare. Um, so, and I was alone too. (laughs) Like Blake wasn't even home and, you know, I'm sure I could have gotten more information from the doctor and it was just a mess. And it was just the worst news I could have ever envisioned. And I just remember like I had the office on TV and I was just blankly staring at the TV. And I just, I feel like all my emotions had just stopped. It's like everything was blank. I, I, it was horrible, horrible. So, um, that was kind of the first, um, well, I mean, it was already a strange experience to, to realize that we were only going to get one embryo. And then all of a sudden the one chance we had to get pregnant and it failed. So, I mean, basically our whole future was like flashing before our eyes, like, Oh, oh my goodness, you know, I, I might not be able to have the baby. And I think that was the hardest realization of all of it was that, you know, you can do all these things and the the outcome you want still could not happen. So it was a really big, shocking moment for us, I think. Right. Right. And how did Blake deal with all of this too? I mean, he was equally devastated and, you know, we obviously deal with things a little bit different, but I mean, I think we both just shut down, I think Mm -hmm. for a little bit. Um, And I mean, we were both devastated and we had put so much time and effort and, and not for nothing money, like into all of this. And all of a sudden we were back at square one and, you know, we had to then quickly, I mean, I think it's just this process of mourning that you go through um, that's like a very unique and strange thing to know you had, you know, created this moment of life and then all of a sudden, you know, it's just not there and it's just, it's horrifying, a horrifying situation. And, but, you know, Blake and I really wanted to have a family and 
you know, after a couple days of some really intense darkness, I feel like we both started trying to talk about what we were going to do to move forward because really that, that was the only option. I mean, it's either stand still or move forward. And I think that's the hardest thing, um, about the fertility when you have infertility and you're dealing with kind of picking up those pieces and moving forward again. And not everyone can do that, you know, emotionally, physically, or sometimes even financially, you not have the option to do it again um, because it's so expensive. So, you know, at a certain point, I mean, I remember telling Blake, like, okay, like what's the next step? Like we need to let let's get moving. So we ended up meeting with our doctor and, you know, fast forward, we did another egg retrieval and we only got one embryo from the second egg retrieval. And so then we were kind of faced with being in the same positions we were with the first one. Mm -hmm. And so we were like, well, crap, now here we are again with our one embryo. How are we going to put all of our hope and dreams into this one embryo again. I mean, if we do the transfer again and it doesn't work, here we are square zero again. Mm -hmm. So at the time, you know, we were trying to decide what we wanted to do. And one of the nurses there that I had become really friendly with, obviously for being there for so long, um, had a woman that ended up getting spontaneously pregnant before one of her fertility cycles and had ordered all of this medication. Um, and I mean, the medications are thousands upon thousands of dollars for these egg retrievals. And she said that she was trying to find a patient to donate to. And she, she said, you know, I really believe that if we do another egg retrieval, like this, this is going to be really positive for you. Like you really have to, you owe it to yourself to, to do it one last time and kind of see what you can crop. And she's like, I really feel like you need to do this. And the more I talked to my doctor, you know, she explained to me that basically, you know, each menstrual cycle, you have a different crop of eggs, right? So Mm -hmm. each cycle is completely independent of the last. And, you know, you could have a better cycle. I mean, it's all in the odds, right? The more you're going to do it, the better odds you're going to have. So they somehow convinced me (laughs) to do third egg retrieval. And, you know, with the help of, they donated me some medication from this woman, which was so kind. And, you know, it just kind of pushed us to make this last third attempt. And wow, that was like, it was meant to be. It's, I mean, it was crazy. So, and then from that attempt, we got, let's see, we got three healthy embryos. So from the, from the first one, we got one, the second one, we got one and the third one, we got three. So, I mean, it was just unbelievable that it over overly doubled our odds. So after the third retrieval, we had four healthy embryos and we were ready, you know, and we were in a much better position. We didn't have the stress of thinking, okay, if this first embryo transfer doesn't work, at least we knew that we had options. Mm -hmm. um, to move forward with. So we went to, we went into our next (laughs) embryo transfer and, um, fast forward and that's Otis. So the, our second embryo transfer worked and I got pregnant and it was a miracle. And now Otis is here two and a half years old and 
He's the best little guy ever. I mean, you've met him. He's so cute. He's the sweetest. Yes. <laughs> the sweetest little, he's Millie's little buddy and he's oh. so sweet. It is just such a miracle. It's so special to see when these IVF babies come into the world that like, you know, the stars just had to align perfectly for this baby to come into the world. And it's so, it's so neat to see that come to real like fruition, but it's also so beautiful to hear all of the sacrifice that went into that. Um, So I just really, really appreciate you sharing so much of your heart and your backstory that led up to getting Otis here. So, but that's not where your, you know, fertility journey has ended. So after Otis came, which, um, you know, I was able to share a tiny bit in the joy of that, just seeing him come into your life and everything. So where did life take you after that? So um, Otis was, let's see, after he turned one, I know we, we had decided to start Obviously, we knew that we were likely going to have to, you know, do another embryo transfer to get pregnant again. But of course, Mm -hmm. you know, we tried naturally again. And of course, (laughs) nothing. So, you know, we met with our fertility doctor again. And, you know, I mean, (laughs) in a a sad sense, it's like riding a bike. We know, I mean, at this point, we're an unfortunate expert (laughs) in what we need to do and to prep. But, um, I mean, we had to be our hearts and our heads and everything had to be in it. And, you know, we just knew when we needed to get in that zone and get into it. And we, you know, decided to start trying, which let me think back now. So I guess this was April of last year. So about a year ago, actually, Mm -hmm. almost exactly a year ago. So what we did was we met with our doctor and we made our plan and we basically used the same I guess you could call it like a layout or protocol is what they like to call it in the fertility world, but they use the same protocol of medications and kind of medical strategy that we use that worked with Otis since that's what worked with my body at that point. So we thought, okay, we're going to try this and see if it works. So I started taking all the medications and all the injections and we're prepping, 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 and we're kind of inching toward March and that's when the world kind of started falling apart with the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah. So, you know, I'm prepping. I'm, this is still really early on. I mean, people weren't wearing masks yet. We hadn't experienced the lockdown yet. And I started to get nervous and I'm starting to hear stories about people's fertility clinics closing and doctor's offices closing. I mean, because this was, I mean, unprecedented people didn't know how to deal with this. There had been a pandemic and we don't even. Sounds like the Spanish flu. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) this was a completely new and wild thing that was happening. And so we're prepping, we're prepping, we're prepping. And my biggest concern was that Blake was going to be in Las Vegas for March Madness. And how was I going to do my progesterone shots? Like these were my worries at the time. Mm Meanwhile, you know, (laughs) the world ended up going into lockdown in March, so it didn't even matter. And I mean, I remember I was, I I think in my heart, I knew, I knew I was going to get canceled. And I was, (laughs) 
I was the day before. So basically in your embryo transfer process, the day that you start your progesterone injection is five days before um, your transfer date. And it basically, it, it sets your lining, it preps everything, and it basically just sets you up for the exact timing that you need to do for your embryo transfer. And the day before I was supposed to start that injection is when I was, I think I was on Instagram and I saw that the clinic was closing. And so I had called the clinic right away and basically they were canceling all elective procedures. I mean, unless you were in the middle of an egg retrieval process, um, they were canceling all of everybody's treatment plans. So I was literally five days away from doing my transfer and all those medications in, and I was just canceled. Like it was, it was devastating. I mean, it's like you, you're, and everything was looking so good. Like my lining was looking good. Like everything looked so good. Like I was, I was in it. My heart was in it. I was positive and everything was going right. And all of a sudden, I mean, the pandemic just cut things off. I mean, because people didn't know how to deal with it. So it just, you know, they were doing everything to protect people's safeties. And um, unfortunately they canceled my cycle and it was just shocking, unbelievable. But um, so that was kind of our first roadblock. Um, And then obviously we went into lockdown and we had to wait a little bit of time um, for kind of our clinic to get back up and running um, to a more normal capacity. And then because um, I was one of the first kind of waves of uh, patients to be able to come back, luckily. Um, so all of a sudden, you know, we jumped back onto the onto the horse and, you know, started the medications again, started prepping. Um, and so, you know, this is technically like the second time I'm prepping and we did the transfer and it failed. <laughs> so here we are, you know, with the same call from the doctor and you know, it's bad when the doctor calls you with the news and, you know, here we are again, but I mean, and each one, each one just as devastating as the last. And it's kind of like creating this like PTSD, like you're just reliving this nightmare over and over. Yeah, I want to pause you right there because I feel like sometimes people can say like the dumbest and most insensitive things in these situations. <laughs> Hopefully that didn't happen to you, but do you have any advice there as far as So, I mean, it's funny because obviously when I was canceled and, you know, I I wrote a blog post about it and shared it and, you know, I think it it happened to so many people and, you know, people would tell me, "Oh, well, you don't want to be pregnant during the pandemic anyway. Like you wouldn't have wanted to be pregnant now anyway. And really like, that's, that's not what you say. I would have been pregnant through anything. Like that's all that I wanted. So, I mean, I think the worst things that like, if I could calculate like all of those worst things, like it'll happen when it happens. If you just relax, it's going to happen. Have you tried acupuncture? I mean, it's, (laughs) you know, and, and, I know that it all comes from love. People are just, people are, people just don't know. Right. And they mean well, they Mm -hmm. mean, they mean well. And, 
maybe some people don't mean as well as others, but I mean, really, it's usually, it's usually coming from a really like good place. And, but it still can be really hurtful when, you know, obviously you're, you're basically just living your life to create life. And it's all you can think about. It's all you're doing. And you literally can't think of anything else because you're literally taking medications three times a day. You can't not remember, <laughs> you know? Right, that's your life. It's, yeah. it, it's a full-time job. I mean, that's literally the hardest thing to do is to just keep getting up and to keep going. Um, yeah. But it's also, you know, the most important to to get up and to keep going and to have hope and and to continue on. So we you know, after that failed transfer, I mean, you know, we, we mourned and, but, you know, like each time before we dusted ourselves off and, you know, we had to do it again. I mean, you know, I was on the prize, like we wanted to give Otis a sibling if that was in the cards for us. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we had, so that was one. So we had two more embryos left. So we prepped for the next transfer and we actually tried, um, a thing called PRP where they, um, take some of your blood plasma and, uh, inject it back into your uterus a, a couple days before the procedure as a, to kind of work with circulation. And I mean, it's a little bit more experimental, but I mean, my doctor was always into trying kind of new things to, to give us a new angle and to just try something different, which is, I, I think is really important to have a doctor that's willing to make adjustments and kind of take some chances and do things differently. I mean, it's the only way you're going to get a different outcome. Um, and so we tried that. And of, of course, of course, one of the nurses told me on my blood draw that everyone that they've done PRP for has gotten pregnant and lo and behold, my transfer failed. And so I'm like the one patient that the PRP didn't work for. You know? So, but at this point, it's like, again, it's like this PTSD, like we just, I think the hardest thing at, at that point was, you know, we had the one canceled, the two failed. And now all of a sudden we're back in this position. We have one embryo left. Like this is our last chance, you know? Yeah. And at that point we really hadn't thought or planned what we would do if it wasn't going to work. I mean, we would have considered probably doing another retrieval, but and that was a really big decision to be had. So, I mean, really it all righted on this, this last embryo. And I did not feel good about that considering, you know, our track record was all failure. I mean, it's really hard to keep your heart hopeful when you keep getting knocked down. It's, I mean, but you have to, <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, I just remember going into it and knowing that as scared as I was and as worried as I was and as anxious as I was, I needed to do everything in my power to like lean into that hope and really, 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 really like put my best, most positive heart forward to put everything and anything that I had in me, you know, toward, toward this positive experience. So we prepped for our last transfer And I mean, I feel like I was relatively calm and collective (laughs) for most Mm -hmm. of the beginning of it. It wasn't until the end that I felt like I was like starting to unravel with kind of the gravity of 
of the fact that, you know, blood test day was coming and like, wow, (laughs) you know, like this was, this was going to be it again. And there was still two options. It could work or it could not work. And that not working option was still there. And it was still this, you know, little buzzing bee in my head that, you know, it, it might not work. And I had to kind of also keep that in my mind that to prepare myself to not be blind for it, but it's really hard to kind of strike that balance of um, like leaning forward positively, but like you, you really have to, because otherwise it's like, you're not going to get through, you know? Right. Right. So rewinding a little bit um, to my transfer day, um, I almost feel like this calm came over me and my friend Ashley, who you know from Ash and Fashion, she actually stopped by my house the morning of my transfer. I didn't know I was having my transfer that day and dropped off some rainbow dish towels to me. It Aww. was, I mean, it was just, it gave me chills when I like opened the package. She had no idea either that I was having my embryo transfer that day. And wow. so that was like a happy little moment that morning. I mean, And that specific day, the wildfires were raging. My sister got, my sister had to leave her house. She was in Irvine. Um, And so the, the sky was on fire. It smelled like, oh, it smelled burnt outside. Mm -hmm. And so I remember, but I was still, even though everything was kind of chaotic outside, I just felt very calm still. And so I'm getting in the car and I look in our front yard and I see these three morning doves just kind of walking through our plant bed. And I, and I was saying to Blake through this whole last transfer, like third time's the charm, right? I mean, technically it's fourth time because the one time was canceled, but I mean, this was like the third embryo transfer. And so I'm like, you know what? Third time's the charm. Three is my favorite number. And I just felt like it was a sign to me that like everything was going to be okay. You know, like these three doves were like placed in my morning, like Ashley dropped off this gift. And it was just, it just like put me at peace before I went through my actual transfer. And so I think it like kept me relaxed and kind of focused. And it was very like surreal. I'm very big into signs and symbols and that kind of thing. Um, Yeah. And so so beautiful. It was really special. So, um, and you know, that I had told Blake that I, it would be great if he could give me some affirmations each day, because I really wanted to do everything in my power from transfer day um, to blood work day to really keep my spirits up, to be the most positive version of myself and to really just like keep my heart at its best, you know? And so I didn't realize that Blake was going to write me a little note for the transfer. And so when he dropped me off, he gave me this note. And so after the nurses checked me in and basically I was like sitting on the table, I'm waiting for the doctor's office to come in. Um, they have like, they put a cozy warm blanket on you. And so I'm basically just like prepping and I'm ready. And so I opened his note and it says, the pain that you've been feeling can't compare to the joy that is coming. Heart, Blake, and Otis. Mm. And it was just the most perfect thing. (laughs) So, 
sorry. <laughs> I knew it was going to no. happen at some point. Don't be sorry. I'm crying too. It's so, <laughs> it's so beautiful and so tender. It just, I mean, it was, it was just perfect, you know? Yeah. And I think it just, you never, like never underestimate how a small gesture can really impact someone's life. Like in, in any instance, you know? Um, but anyway, so this was, I mean, we had a super positive day for transfer day. And, you know, I think the hardest thing is kind of, you know, maintaining that level of hope and, you know, whether that hope is spiritual for you, whether that hope comes from a different place. I mean, I think the people that end up getting through fertility or uh, infertility are the ones that really lean into hope or lean into their faith, lean into whatever it is that, you know, it makes them shine, you know? Yeah. The positivity and yeah. um, looking at the signs that you're saying, like that's, I mean, I, I, mean, I don't know. It's, it's, it's ridiculously hard. And I'm not saying that I'm perfect in that, you know, I've been a, a ray of sunshine the whole time or that I, you know, constantly keep up this positive, you know, a hopeful heart, but, you know, I know when I see myself leaning toward a more negative moment or a negative thought, you know, I can take that moment and I can recognize that and I can choose to, you know, I, my mantra on my arm that I have on my bracelet is to choose love, right? So I know that in my next moment, I can choose love, whatever that is. So it's kind of like recognizing and continuing to move forward and, you know, to stay as hopeful as possible to kind of bring you through this process. Yeah. Wow. I love that too, to choose love and to, I, I love all of your signs of hope too, that you shared. I wanted to ask you one kind of tricky question that I always wonder, and I want to just understand better from my friends who have been through this. When your friends got pregnant or had baby showers or were going through things like that, what was the best way you felt like for them to be sensitive, but also not make you feel weird or excluded or, you know what I mean? What was helpful for you? So I think that the hardest thing was that people just don't want to step on your toes and they don't want to upset you. So in a lot mm -hmm. of cases, I even had friends like not tell me they were pregnant for a while because they were afraid that their news was going to trigger me. And, you know, I would say when I was earlier on in treatment, I was definitely more triggered by that kind of news or those kind of experiences. But I think that I was very vocal in terms of letting friends know, like I had some friends that were, you know, through, through my baby number two journey, I've had some friends that were trying to get pregnant and who got pregnant. I mean, I had two friends that lapped me with their babies before I even got pregnant. <laughs> and, um, but I mean, I feel like going through this the second time, I'm less triggered by that because I also know that you don't know everybody's stories. You don't know how people get pregnant. Not everybody shares about their infertility journey, or you don't know even if they had to try naturally for two years or how, uh, however, you know, someone gets to their baby, you know, whether that's they have their baby, infertility, if they adopt. I mean, there's all kinds of different ways to bring 
bring together family. Right. And right. I was less triggered by some of those things, but still like people get weird. Like they don't, like they, they won't tell you because they don't want to upset you or maybe they don't invite you. And I think that those end up being the most hurtful things mm-hmm. because you still want to share in people's joy and you're still obviously can be happy for someone and still sad for yourself, you know? Yeah. So I remember like, especially second time around, I never wanted to be confronted with that news, like face to face. I would have rather digested it as a text message Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, personally. I mean, and obviously everybody is different. So I think being vocal about your wishes is really important. I mean, I know that some of my friends that were trying to get pregnant, I straight up told them, I said, listen, if you get pregnant, I'm going to be so happy for you, but please don't tell me in person. Please don't call me. Don't FaceTime me. Send me a text. Let me know. (laughs) I will, I will process it. And that way, like, I don't want them to feel bad that I'm not excited for them. And it doesn't mean I'm not excited if I don't have an instant reaction to it. So, you know, I was really upfront with some of my friends, but some people aren't strong enough or aren't ready to kind of be that kind of advocate for themselves in those situations. So, I mean, I would just say, do not, don't push people out just because you don't know how to talk to them about it. Like be honest, like share your feelings and let them know like, Hey, you know, I have some news. I don't know how you might digest it. And I respect if you need some space with this, you know, I I just think being honest and really just sharing your heart with them and, you know, maybe not like FaceTiming them and bombarding them with your news, um, is a positive thing. But again, everyone digests information, these situations differently. So, but I do know that if you're willing to talk to someone about it and to be sensitive and you're willing to lead with a sensitive heart, I know that they will appreciate it no matter you, how you come to them. They're going to appreciate the fact that you're trying to be sensitive and you're trying your best. And, um, I think as long as you're doing that and, and trying, I mean, people can see that. So. Yeah. I love that. Such really, really, um, sensitive and, and thoughtful advice. So I appreciate that. Okay. So we have another baby to celebrate for you, right? When is baby number two coming? Yes. So baby number two is coming July of this year. So July, 2021. Very exciting. I mean, we, so we went, went through, we went for our blood work and I always do a home pregnancy test before I go for my blood work. And the night before I was a freaking wreck and (laughs) I was like crying while we're reading books to Otis because the realization of the fact that, you know, blood work day was here. And then I was like getting Blake's head because we had been so positive and Blake was like, you're throwing me off. And anyway, so I did my, you know, I peed in my cup and Blake does the home pregnancy test when I leave the house for the blood work so that at least we have like an accurate result so that when the doctor calls, I'm not faced with like blind information. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm, I'm driving PCH to the doctor and I'm freaking out like in my head, freaking out. Like I'm, I'm a mess. (laughs) I'm, I'm nervous. I'm a mess, but I'm like, have my music on and I'm trying to just come to the realization that what these results are going to say, this is, this is what it is right now. Like, this is what's happening. 
And I just have to lean into it and keep being positive. And I went for my blood work and I texted Blake immediately when I got back to my car, because I always do when I ask him to share the news so that then when I'm driving home, I can kind of digest things um, before I come home. And so, and I'm not going to wait <laughs> until I'm getting home to find out what the results are. And so he, he texts me and he goes, how did it go? And I was like, Blake, tell me. I said, is it negative? And he goes, are you sure you want to know? And I said, yeah. And he goes, you're pregnant. And so I FaceTime him and in probably like the most ugly crying that you could ever see. Like I have, a, <laughs> I have like a screenshot of me and it's, it's literally the ugliest version of my crying self, <laughs> like ugly crying in the parking lot. People are walking by like, what's going on with this woman? And Blake is like showing me the pregnancy test. And he's like, are you okay? Did you hear me that you're pregnant? I was like, I just can't believe. And I'm just tears, <laughs> like hysterics. And so I literally, I, I almost couldn't believe to hear that after so much consistent failure. I mean, it's just, you're so wired to just hear not pregnant, you know? Yeah. And so it was just like the best moment. So I drove home and it was just, I mean, it was our last chance and it worked. It was, it's just insanity. So now I'm 27 weeks pregnant right now. And so we're due with our second little rainbow baby in July. And it's just so exciting. Holy moly, you know, (laughs) (laughs) it's just the best happy ending to, you know, a a story that has so many real ups and downs. And, and I, I think that's one of the things I appreciate so much too, about everything you've shared, not only here, but in your, um, on your blog and your Instagram is that you get so real and, you know, you share all of it. And I mean, I'm, I'm sure you're not sharing all of it, but you're sharing enough that it, it feels like, okay, I really have such a better understanding of what this must be like for someone who's going through this. And, and I have appreciated that so much as a friend, as a reader, as a follower. Um, I feel like I understand what my friends who struggle with infertility have gone through so much better because it's been a gift to share in that with you. And so I, I think that if, if I was ever going to use my platform for anything, I feel like you know, this has been one of the most, um, meaningful things that I could ever, um, share or contribute to our community as, you know, painful as a lot of these moments have been, it would have also been a disservice to not share, you know, the failures and the heartbreak because, you know, that's a reality of infertility. And, you know, while some people have these beautiful stories and, you know, get pregnant naturally. Like there's a lot of women that go through infertility and, and never have a child. I mean, there's just, I feel like kind of breaking the stigma of just knowing how many women and men out there that are, that are dealing with this. I mean, after I started going through it and finally opening up about it, even just to people that I knew and to friends, it's like, you just, people are coming out of the woodwork. Oh, I I did fertility treatment. I did this. I did this. I did this. And I mean, it's like this silent army of, of, of women out there that have been dealing with this, like in the dark, you know, it's a very lonely process. And, 
I think the most important thing for me has been to kind of shed a light on that and to take away some of that stigma and um, for people to really know that they're not alone. Like you are not alone in this. There's so, there's an army of women behind you that like have your back and are going through this right now. And probably a lot of them <laughs> close to your own lives, you know, that could be yeah. friends that could be some of your family members. And I mean, you know, obviously it's a very sensitive subject and not everybody is comfortable um, sharing those kind of intimate details of their life, which is totally fine. But for me, it's become a really therapeutic thing to share um, as well as, um, you know, how do I explain it? It, it? Not necessarily that it's my duty, but it's been a great calling for me to kind of be able to use my platform to spread awareness about it. If I was able I to that. do one like beautiful thing in the world and to use my platform for some, a bit of like education and help and hope for other women, then it, it was, it was worth it. Even if it just helped one person, you know? Yeah. And it has helped so many, uh, myself included. Okay. I have one last question for you. And this is a question I ask everyone. If there's one message that you want the listener to remember from this episode, what do you want that one message to be? If there was one message, I would say, you know, my goal here is just to inspire you to never give up. If you're dealing with infertility, just like hold on, never give up, know that you're not alone and to always choose love. Such a beautiful message. Thank you so much, Kimberly, for sharing your your raw and real story with us and all of the tender things you shared today. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Where can people follow you if they want to see this second rainbow baby born and follow along with you and Blake and Otis and baby? Oh, so, well, and also I just have to say, I love everything that you do to spread positivity in the community, awareness on different issues. I mean, I think it's why kind of we were like drawn to each other too so I really appreciate everything that you're doing in this space and sharing thank a lot you. of your heart as well that's why thank it was you. so special for me to come and talk to you about this today very special for me too so okay so back to you where can people <laughs> follow you and and become more part of your community um so you can follow me on Instagram and all the social channels on at eat sleep where and then eatsleepware.com is my blog where I have much more of my um, detailed blog posts about um, each of our fertility steps, you know, uh, blog posts about um, how to help people going through fertility, some book resources, et cetera. I have a little drop down for IVF. So if you're looking for some really intense articles, um, you should definitely go to my blog, which is eatsleepware.com. Okay. And we will link to all of those things in the show notes too, so people can easily find those. So thanks again so much for your time today. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode.